This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Can I just tell you real quick while you're opening the book of John that I am so excited that we were a small church just praying to to start in missions about 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. I guess it's been 25 years ago now. And let's just talk about this week. This week, uh, we have a team in Hungary today. They've been doing an apologetics conference in a college there for young doctors that are, that are saved and are spirit filled. And they are, they are trying to help them be able to answer the questions that they're getting bombarded with by the college. And, and God, uh, the report was spiritual breakthroughs happening. And that's awesome. Secondly, we had a team this week in, uh, it was part of a serve ministry there, but we were partnered with them and we were able to pay for a, a, a widow's home to be built in Kenya this last week. Come on now. Amen. Let's see. Third, we had a team in Kentucky doing ministry in Maytown, Kentucky this last week, and they have, they have re, uh, revitalized the, the regular ongoing uh, uh, location there, and they've done some great work to help get that up to par this last week. Uh, and then we had over 30-something thousand pounds of the first wave of relief make it down to uh, the panhandle of Florida. Come on, amen. And to top that off, watch this. We planted our 11th church this week, and we, made, we chose to do that in Cuba. Come on now. Amen. And so we're, I'm going to shut up and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that I feel in this place. And I will declare it now before I even bring it to this congregation. This is a revelation that can change everyone who is listening, both here, watching, and those who are somehow connected in whatever other way. Lord, right now, he can change their lives forever. Speak to us clearly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Very lengthy passage of scripture, but stay with me. John chapter 13, beginning in verse number one. Before the Passover celebration, so we have our, our, our place, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew, Jesus what? Knew. knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them until the very end or until the last. It was time for supper, and the devil had already... How I many of you know the devil likes to show up and mess things up? Come on now. He likes to show up around supper time, apparently. And the devil had already prompted... You, you don't think so? Just after service, say, where do you want to go? And watch and see if the enemy doesn't show up when they say, well, I don't care. What do you want? Now, Amen. All right, it was somebody said, be quiet, you're meddling now, Pastor, amen. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of, and this is what really shocked me today, this was not in my sermon prep, the Holy Spirit spoke to me early on to point out to you, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now I want you to understand what that means. The word Simon Iscariot uh, is not like we're saying that, that he was uh, 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 Judas, uh, the son of uh, uh, Simon Allen or, or Simon uh, uh, of Miller or Simon, this, this literal term that Judas, the son of Simon the locksmith. I want you to catch that. Judas, the son of the locksmith. Judas, the one who could get into anything he wanted to because he knew how and who could lock up anything he wanted to because he knew how. Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash, notice this, to do what? To wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand. Now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. It's a confusing passage here. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and, and head as well. All of me, one virgin said, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. If you're following me now at this point, you must be a deep theologian because this passage loses most. And your disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? I almost would ask that now is, do we understand what he was doing? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Somebody needs to wash somebody's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Watch this. Do as I have done to you. Can I just stop right there and say, for those of you who are getting excited, please keep your shoes on. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters. Well, I feel the Holy Spirit. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, watch this. God will bless you. We're doing them. Now, we began a study this past Sunday called Last. And let me just say, I was so encouraged by the fact that hundreds of people signed up to serve in the church. In this series called Last, we are studying passages that don't make sense in our culture. Our first stop was the passage that says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, where we came to the conclusion that the best way to, to get on track to grow spiritually is to serve first. Because we understand that serving God is not about positioning yourselves for a blessing. It is about learning to be a blessing. I want you to get that. It's not that I've done enough this week that maybe somehow God can love me enough this week. It's that I position myself not for a blessing, but I position myself to be a blessing. And this is what I have learned, that the Bible says God will give seed to the sower. In other words, if you're hoarding the blessings in your life, then get ready for there to be a dry season in your life. But if you're serving and pouring out, God's going to give seed to the sower. Listen to me carefully. Now this week we come to another passage. A passage that really doesn't make sense because I know what some of you are saying for joy. Some of you are saying, whoo, we get to wash each other's feet, right? Well, there's a few faces that say, please don't go there, pastor. You see, in this passage, we read about a moment that's really rather awkward. Let me say that again. It's an awkward moment for the disciples. They are ready to celebrate the equivalent of their Thanksgiving meal, and Jesus gets up and he starts taking off his clothes and then wearing just a towel of the lowest servant, he starts washing their feet. Awkward, to say the least. Let me put it in perspective for you. It's Thanksgiving Day. 
Your family has all gathered, and you know how it goes. You come to that moment, the table is spread. Everyone is waiting. Everyone is waiting for you to say grace so that after you have prayed the prayer of blessing, the word go can be said and they can run to the line because there's never enough deviled eggs. Can I get an amen? And so they're ready. Everybody's standing there ready. The prayer is made and, and, and grandma's about to say go. And all of a sudden before she does, you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's something I need to do first. And you start taking off your clothes. It's awkward just talking about it. You strip down to your undershirt and your boxers, and then you turn around and grab a bowl off of the counter with a, uh, it's got water in it, and you throw a towel over your shoulder, and you come up to your brother-in-law, and you say to him, would you take off your shoes so I can wash your feet? And he looks at you, and then he looks at, at, at your wife and says, I told you you married a crazy man. You see, it was an awkward moment. We can look back to it through the lens of the Scripture, uh, through the lens of the Scripture, through the lens of post-resurrection, but the moment was awkward. Could you imagine what they must have been feeling? Because at this moment that Jesus gets up and He takes off His clothes and He starts walking around the room and He's washing their feet, doing the work of the lowest slave of the house. And finally, the most obnoxious older brother in the room, basically Peter, says, Time out! Time out! You're not watching me. This stops here. To which Jesus replies, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Let me translate that for you. I do this or we're done. Pretty bold statement. Peter then exclaims, then wash all of me. To which Jesus responds, no, you only need your feet clean. Let's be honest, what does that even mean? I mean, come on. Some of you are looking at me like, duh, pastor, don't you understand the depth of that? That's called a poker face. You don't have a, you're afraid I'm going to call on you and ask you to explain. What does it even mean when he says, it doesn't matter about the rest of you, it's only your feet that need to be clean at this moment, and we're, we're trying to figure this out, and we're trying to figure out why Peter had, had to ask this question, and why Jesus responds the way that he does, and to be honest, I think that most mature Bible students don't understand this passage. Honestly, most theologians don't understand its true meaning. We may never know its entirety until we get to heaven, and I'm not claiming to know more than others today, but let me tell you how I've always preached this passage. It's a beautiful story here. I've always preached this passage as a reflection of the gospel, how that Jesus gets up from the table, he takes off his garments, he puts on a lower garment, and then he washes the disciples' feet and he says, unless I wash you, there is no part in my kingdom. And that's a beautiful reflection of the gospel because Jesus was seated on the thrones of heaven and he got up off the throne of heaven and he took off his glory and he robed himself in humanity and he came to serve us and to wash us. And unless he washes us, we have no part with him. What a beautiful picture that is. But it goes further than that. We can preach it like this, that if you really are God's child and you really have a great heart that you're willing to serve the others, even if it seems like you're more mature than them, even if it seems like you're further along than them, you're willing to serve them. And that's, that's a great truth, but, but there's more truth at the stake here than even that. God began to reveal something to me, the powerful truth that's really at the core of the answer because really the gospel there doesn't answer Peter's question, why did Jesus do this? 
And let's look at the other side of that. If you grew up in a conservative church, you've probably been to a time when they took this passage literally when it said, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And don't worry, please keep your shoes on this morning. But the truth is, many of us have been to services where they broke out water basins and people began to wash each other's feet. And I'm not belittling that moment, but what was accomplished in those moments was sincere fellowship and sometimes forgiveness. But listen to me carefully. Many of you are going, that's a humbling experience. How many of you just love feet? Most of us don't. It's a humbling experience. Listen to me, I'm about to give you one of the greatest truths I've ever preached to you. It's a humbling experience, but I want you to understand the literal translation of this. Listen to me carefully. The literal translation of this makes having to wash someone else's feet seem like the easy way out. Let's look back at the core heart of this passage. Verse number two. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the son of the locksmith, to betray Jesus. Notice this. Watch this. Here's what we see. There's betrayal in the house. There's an attack in the house. There's a, there's a traitor in the house. This is clear. There's pain in the house. There's problems in the house. Jesus knew, the Bible says, that the betrayer was there. And he knew that the devil already had a hold of him. And he knew that Judas was going to let the devil inflict this pain upon him. Then the Bible says, but Jesus also knew, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Watch this. Jesus knew that everything that was about to happen was not something that he couldn't make it through because he already had authority over everything. Watch this. And that he had what? Come from God. And he would do what? Return to God. Listen to me carefully. This is truth. Here's what we have here. We have the betrayer in the room. We have Jesus that the Bible says, it doesn't really make sense. The betrayer's there, and then it just like it shifts gear, and it says Jesus knew who he was, and he knew where he was from, and he knew what power he had. I'm about to give somebody a truth going to set you free. Get ready. Get ready. Say, get ready with me. And the next thing it says, so Jesus, who knew the betrayer was in the room, and he knew who he was, this is his response to the betrayer in the room. He got up from the table. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Notice these three words quickly, three statements. Betray, betrayal. The betrayer is in the room. Jesus knew who he was. Notice this. So this is what he did. I need you to get this. Somebody needs this. Somebody, you listen to my words, you mark my words. This is going to determine the decades of your life if you can get what I'm trying to say to you right now. The moment that Jesus came for had finally arrived. The trial is moments away. The cross is already prepared. Jesus gathers with his disciples for this last supper together and sitting at the table, at the table with Jesus was his betrayer. 
Most of us don't want to be in the same room with the people who've done us wrong, but Jesus is sitting at the table with his betrayer. Judas was just across the way. Let me explain this again. I'm already jumping the gun, but I'm following the Holy Spirit. The way that you're going to show Jesus is not from a pulpit, and it's not with a song. It's with the way you live your life. Judas is just across the way. Judas is just about to sell out the Savior. Jesus knew, Scripture says, what Judas was about to do. He knew what he was up to. Judas had made his choice. He was going to betray Jesus. But notice the power of the passage. But Jesus also knew who he was in God, and Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what was going to happen wrong, but it didn't change what he knew to be the solid truth that the world couldn't shake. He knew pain was on its way, but the pain was not going to change the fact of who he was in God and where he was headed to in God. Can I tell you, we may suffer for a season, but joy is going to come in the morning because we are his children and we're on the way to glory. Listen to me. So what does Jesus do to respond? How does he respond? He knows his betrayer's there. Watch what he does. He gets up and he starts washing some of the disciples' feet. His favorite disciples' feet. Whose feet? All the disciples' feet. Oh, well, he even washed Judas. Let me just take it from another perspective for you. There was John the Beloved there, the one who would write about himself saying the one that Jesus loved. When Jesus washed his feet, he knew that John would flee with such urgency from the garden that he might even leave his own garment behind because they were trying to grab him. He knew the one that would desert him was before him as he washed his feet. As he washed his feet, they came to Andrew, the one who had followed him first, that would not be the one who would follow him last, and yet he washed his feet. He came then around to uh, Thomas, the one who would doubt that he would risen, had risen from the, uh, uh, the grave. He knew that he would become a doubter, and yet in front of Thomas, he washed his feet. And then he came around to Peter, and as he came around to Peter, kneeling there before him, he knew that before the rooster would crow, yet even that very night, that Peter would tell everybody in cursing form, I don't even know him. And yet, he washed his feet. I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're going through, but God has sent me with a word for you today. There's freedom. There's freedom from bitterness. There's freedom from pain. There's freedom from betrayal. And it's going to be found in such of the kingdom of heaven that we begin to act like Jesus. Watch what happens next. He comes to Judas, the very betrayer, and he loves him the same. Wow. Listen to me. You see, Jesus treats them all the same. He doesn't attack. He doesn't disregard. He doesn't push them away. He loves them all the same. Your greatest pulpit many times is in your hour of betrayal. Get this. You must be a Christian. I mean, to be a disciple means to do what is right despite what others are doing or are going to do. It's truth. 
To be a true disciple means that even when everybody else has taken on the form of deserter or abuser or betrayer or those that will flee and no, they won't be who they said they would be in your lives, that instead of looking at what they're doing and allowing it to lose, cause you to lose sight of who that you are, that instead you plant your feet and say, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we have made up our mind and we're going to serve the Lord come what may. Let me put these words into perspective for you. Here's what he said. What you have seen me do, this you should do for each other. The easy way out would be to wash each other's feet. But here's what he's saying. You ought to love those who betrayed you. You ought to serve those who've hurt you. I mean, how would your world change if you were to start serving those who are doing you wrong. Can I tell you something? When we were in the first service today and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you stop and you tell them what Simon Iscariot means. I argued with the Holy Spirit. I was like, I'm preaching here, Holy Spirit. That's another sermon for another day. And he said, no, you tell them. You tell them what Simon Iscariot means. And I did not know why he made me stop until I read this part of the sermon that I have written. Simon Iscariot means that, that he, could buy, he could get into anything he wanted and he could bind up anything that he wanted. He was a master locksmith. He had control. He knew how to open what he wanted open and close what he wanted closed. In other words, what we see him trying to do at this moment is he's trying to open the, the door so that he can force Jesus in a certain direction. He's trying to tie up everything so that he ends up in the right place and, and listen to me carefully the reason God had me show them that is this that the first thing that's going to happen when you do those that have done you wrong right when you treat them better than they deserve to be treated the first thing that will happen is that you will be released from their hold over you the bitterness will no longer bind you the chains will not hamper, hamper your praise anymore when you do what Jesus did instead of doing what you want to do then praise is going to restore your soul. Joy is going to come back into your life. And in spite of the betrayal, you're going to come out the other side because you're going to know who you are and you're going to know where you're headed in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody give God a praise. Let me finish with, with this. Because when you do what is right, then that frees God to make things right. I would love to tell you that I'd always done what's right. But I haven't. But then there comes a time of question. What are you going to do now? I mean, what are you going to do now? There have been areas where people have hurt me. And I'd love to say that I've, I, I live this verse the way that it's supposed to be. There's a verse of Scripture that says that if you do good to those that have despitefully used you, that God himself will pour out burning coals of fire upon their head. What a powerful Scripture. It has brought joy to my soul. Because I don't know how many times I've been like, honey, we're going to be good to them, and then we're going to watch Jesus burn their brain, slap out of their head. I didn't share this story in any other service, but let me share a story with you. I was in a very public venue one time. Someone that watches this television show was there. It was a different time and a different era, and we, we inadvertently offended them. No, no intention, no wrong malice. Uh, uh, we simply uh, uh, made a choice that made them unhappy. Literally, that's all it was. 
And I'll never forget that day. It made me mad, and I was trying not to let my old self rise up, but this person attacked me from behind, screaming, what kind of pastor are you? What kind of pastor are you? I didn't know this person. I had no clue who they were. After the attack, you could lift my shirt. There was a bruise about, about a, a little bigger than a football. What a, what a night I'll never forget. We, we, there was a policeman there. We filed a report. We didn't ask for charges to be filed. We just, in case there was ever another encounter, we wanted it recorded. Had no clue who this person was. Sometime later, actually over a year later, hadn't thought that much more about it. Chose not to press charges. Chose not to assassinate their, their name or character. Turned out they were connected to someone in leadership in our community. And I'll never forget, a man comes by and he says, I need to see you. I said, okay. Sit down, what's going on? And he just broke. He said these words. He said, Pastor, my spouse has not slept a single night since she launched that attack on you from behind. Since she's in torment. It's robbing her the ability to find rest. It's robbing her. And, and, and Pastor, I, she needs your forgiveness. I said, what are you talking about? I said, we forgave her that night. We didn't hold it against her. I, I knew there had to be something else going on there. We did, I, I've not been running around telling everybody how evil this person is. You go tell her, the same God who forgave us has given us the ability to declare she's forgiven. You see, when you hold people's sins against them, it binds you more than it binds them. So what did Jesus do to help him do what was right? See why I had to preach this sermon today? What did Jesus do to help him do what was right? The Bible says that he knew what the betrayer was doing, but notice this, but he also knew that he had the power in the moment. Can I tell you that the devil cannot rob your power? Because God has given it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said, and whatsoever you ask in my name, it shall be done. He knew the power he had. Watch this. You listen to me, God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. He knew the power he had at that moment. But he most importantly knew he was from God. And he was going back to God. Can I tell you, it makes sense, the summer series that we had. Who are you? You are his child. He loves you. And he is pleased with you. When you realize those simple truths, everything changes. Because when you are faced with a betrayer, you have to make up your mind. Am I going to change who I am? Or am I going to continue being a child of God?
Am I going to live as one that is loved, that he will not allow any wrong thing? For those who he loves and are called according to his purpose, all things will work out for their good. You listen to me. You think you're in a, a, a den of lions. I'm being prophetic because I'm saying you think you're in a den of lions and the only reason you've not been consumed is the grace of God. No, no, what you don't understand is somebody, I'm, I'm giving you a prophecy right now. What you don't understand is God's actually keeping you out of a den of lions. Because what God is doing for you is he's moving you to a place of what he has chosen for his loved children trying to close, but listen to me. I'm just preaching here. I want you to get this. The last part is I am pleasing to him. So whatever I do to respond to my betrayer needs to be done from who I know that I am. And I have to respond in a way that's pleasing to God. Because when you keep your eyes on who you are instead of what others are doing, it will give you the power to stay the course. It's going to give you the power to stay the stay the course. Stand with me today. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 815, 930, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.